0: A quick note before we get started, this episode is part of a series of shows we recorded on the floor of the Phoenix Convention Center during the Association of Corporate Council's 2019 annual meeting. I wanted to point that out in case you're curious about the background noises. I also wanted to thank the ACC for helping make these episodes possible. Now, on with the show. Welcome, everyone, to the In-House Roundhouse where in-house lawyers, outside counsel, and industry experts gather round to discuss current issues and best practices. I'm your host, Mark Enriquez, commercial litigator with Womble Bond Dickinson. With me, as always, is my producer, Brian Ewing. Um, My partner, Kristen walker Probst, is joining us. She is a a litigator in our Irvine, California office. (laughs) Kristen, I'm delighted to have you here. Thanks, Mark. And we're really excited to welcome, uh, for the first time to this show, Manisha Merchant, who's Executive Vice President, Deputy General Counsel with Bank of California. Uh, Manisha, we're really glad to have you with us today.
1: Thank you. I'm very excited to be here today.
0: And we're excited. I know this is our first time you've recorded a podcast, so I'm glad we're giving you that experience.
1: Well, thank you. Let's see how it goes.
0: Yeah, I, I think it'll be fun. We were having a little conversation before we started and you told what to me was kind of an amazing story of your first legal job. And I know we got a lot of in-house counsel listening come from different backgrounds. Should you mind sharing us a little bit again how you how you got that first position?
1: Sure, so um, I was actually practicing out on the East Coast for a couple of years, but after law school and working there, my family was still out here in California. So I decided to come back and when I came back to California, I kind of missed having a paycheck and I was just waiting for my California bar results. And there was this opening for a paralegal job at a small bank uh, that was based in Orange County. And they had just gone through a regulatory exam and they had a lot of findings. And they really kind of just needed like a paralegal to kind of help work through the results of the exam and help with the findings. And I said, you know what? You can call me whatever it is you want. As long as they get a paycheck at the end of the day, I'm okay with that. And uh, it was supposed to be a six-week gig. Four months later, when I got my bar results, they actually gave me an offer letter. And I sat there and said, where do I sign? And does this mean that when I pick up the phone, I don't have to sit and worry about how many minutes I've been on the call because I don't need to worry (laughs) about billing anymore. So it was great. great. Yeah, and, no, uh, that, that's
0: good. And been that, in
1: banking ever since.
0: Yes. Every time I talk to an in-house counsel, I'm a little jealous of the, the lack of billing. It's but I never think that's, too late. It's yeah, yeah, never too that's late. late. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah, that's right. I can be recruited away. No, it's it's a plus. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, Brian's upset to hear that. He doesn't like that. Uh, Brian's going to kick me
1: off the show. He's like, this is I tried. the I one. He's like, wait
0: a minute. Yeah, this isn't good. No, and I enjoy I enjoy our role just because it's fun to learn. I like learning a lot about different companies and different problems. And and I'm a litigator at heart, which I know we, we have different, you know, different perspectives. That I so I, that that aspect of being in court, and make arguing stuff I really enjoy. So that's harder to get, not impossible, but harder in an in-house position. Um, Tell, us, tell our listeners a little bit more from that start. I know you've worked at, uh, you've held several different positions with financial institutions. Give us just a little bit of that background and how you ended up at Bank of California.
1: Sure. So, um, like I said, I, I worked at a small bank. It was called Western Financial Bank, WFS Financial. We were around for about five, maybe six years, I've, I would say. We actually then got acquired by a little bank called Wachovia. I'm sure no one's ever heard of that bank, especially if you're in North Carolina. Right, right. And uh, I was uh, working there for a couple of years. I think they actually wanted me to then relocate up north, which was a possibility at the time. But then uh, I had a recruiter call me for another less known bank, very small, called Washington Mutual. <laughs> and uh, yeah. you know, I joined them. I was there for probably about a year and change before uh, the feds decided that uh, it was not too big to fail. yeah, And uh, I stayed with Chase, uh, went over to Union Bank where I had a lot of colleagues I knew. I worked there for about five years and then decided that I wanted to be a little bit more adventurous in terms of the work that I was doing. And so I've been now at Bank of California for five and a half years and uh, it's been an exciting ride.
0: Yeah. No, that is exciting, and I know for folks on the East Coast, we may not be that familiar with Bank of California, but I know you've got over eight and a half billion dollars in assets, and you know thirty plus branches in Southern California. So it is a, you know, it's a good sized bank there. Obviously, not a Bank of America or Wells Fargo, but I'm sure that gives you a little more freedom and a little different feel as an in-house lawyer as opposed to being at those jumbo banks.
1: Uh, absolutely. I mean, it really gives you an opportunity to make a difference. That's one of the reasons I enjoy working in a smaller legal department. You really get to do a lot of different things and get to learn a lot of different things. And um, you know, I think I was mentioning to you guys just earlier, the work that I do there now today is not what I was doing at the bank five years ago. Mm-hmm. And so um, from a professional experience perspective it's it's been great
0: yeah that's wonderful tell our listeners what is the structure I know it's a smaller legal department how many lawyers and other people do you have in that in that group
1: so we have five attorneys in total including our general counsel then we have legal department operations manager and then we have two paralegals one of whom also wears the hat as our assistant corporate secretary gotcha
0: okay sounds good and what is i know your your role has changed a little bit too while you've been there Uh, tell us a little bit that role and how it's evolved to what you're currently doing now
1: so i originally when i joined uh it was basically to support the community banking group deposit operations questions from branches uh, dealing with debit cards and you know account opening questions and what happens if you know you have a joint account and someone dies So those are kind of what i would consider very operational questions sure um that's kind of what my expertise has been over the last i would say 15 years but uh that has grown to you know learning about hr you know and uh managing litigation and vendor management and uh, now i'm actually more involved on the corporate security side so i am learning about 10 q's and k's and proxies and Disclosures so working more with the board and just very yeah. much enjoying it so
0: gotcha Oh, that sounds good And obviously a lot of those roles are ones where you're working with outside counsel I imagine on the securities filings and on the litigation and that's really what I thought we could spend a few minutes talking about today I, I do certainly working with outside counsel is something. I think all in-house lawyers end up doing uh, from time to time you know, some come from an experience of being in large firms and know, you know, kind of have that view of what in- outside counsel is. Others may have spent a long time in house and had less uh, exposure to outside counsel firms. But I think figuring out the way to make that relationship effective in work is something a lot of in-house counsel, particularly those new to the job, struggle with. So I thought it'd be it'd be good to give them uh, some tips and helps on that. Um, let's start with an overview. What kind of things do you use outside counsel? for and kind of what are those relationships like for you?
1: Sure. Um, I mean, being a small law department, we actually use outside counsel for numerous things, everything from our employment litigation to bankruptcy matters to commercial contracts, as well as, uh, as you mentioned, you know, our corporate securities work, you know, in terms of filings that we have to do, our Ks, our Qs, just having outside counsel review, making sure that you know we form check documents. So it really just kind of depends. I mean, I think the best thing about being in-house is knowing when to issue spot. And when you issue spot, you're not going to be the expert, but it's knowing the fact that you have outside counsel who you deem to be the expert that is literally a phone call away.
0: Yeah. No, I, I think that's that's true um, and do you tend to use you know one firm for a variety of things or do you pick different firms or individual lawyers you know for your needs what your what's your philosophy on that I know some folks do different approaches
1: so yes and, and I agree with you I mean I don't know that there's one best approach but for me I think it's you know when you attend uh, conferences or you know just law school networking we were talking about earlier <laughs> um, you, you get to know people and you meet people and I can tell you that you know prior to joining Bank of California I've never actually managed outside counsel mm-hmm. but when I had my first opportunity to hire someone how I hired that individual was I'm like okay I know this other attorney at this company and if you know her she's got a pretty high bar in terms of who it is I know she would select for outside counsel So when i had an employment matter i called her up and i said hey who at this firm do you use for outside counsel and she gave me the name of the attorney and i knew right away that that was the attorney that i was going to start building a relationship with for no other reason but i already knew what her bar was and her bar was high and i'm like wow if there's outside counsel who can put up with her right. <laughs> you know this will be a cakewalk easy me. for you yeah e- exactly and and I think that's kind of how you start developing mm-hmm. those relationships but I mean it's got to be uh, something that's what I would consider win-win so for example I work at a bank so <laughs> I you know when when you actually start building your network right one of the things you do is when I was doing employment right you never want to put your eggs in just one basket. You want to always have there's conflicts come up, who knows, right? Right. So, you kind of, you know, do an RFP. We actually created like, you know, a two-page cheat sheet and said, you know, to lots of outside counsel, you know, what's your area of expertise? Like, we know that all firms are full-size firms, but we want to know, what are you known for? Like if you had one dish right. that you needed to make, what is that mm. that you're known for?
0: like the cooking and show analogy. That's <laughs> kind of, what, you know, this is your uh, final uh, final in the chef cook-off. That, that, that's so, yeah. right.
1: That's right. Um, and you expand upon it, right? So we actually had RFPs. We And as part of those RFPs, we asked, you know, what kind of alternative fee arrangements would you give to us? So we don't want to pitch it to you. You tell us what is your best AFA if we determine that you're going to be on our quote preferred provider list right what does that look like you know what kind of arrangements can you give us by the way who do you bank with Uh. (laughs) Mm -hmm. so it's just you know a matter of developing those relationships but I, i think that you also want to be selective in terms of who it is you use because the more outside counsel gets to know your bank which is their client right the better it is because they can also issue spot with you, right? So if you hire somebody and you have an employment issue, they could come back and say, you know, if that person is separating, you might have to file an 8K, it depends, you gotta mm-hmm. look at these disclosure laws. So it's just, you know, getting outside counsel to know the bank the way that you know the bank. Now look, no one's gonna know them the way that you know them because you work right. from them, that's your only client. But the more, you know, bring them into the organization, you know, let them get to know the business units that they support and then they can issue spot while they're here. And I think that's the best thing about having what I would consider a smaller group of firms that you work with is they're giving you their best rates. You're telling them that, look, I will give you as much of, you know, X percentage of work you never tell them that you're going to give them all of the work because I don't think that that's a great practice, but you also never want them to feel comfortable that, Mm -hmm. Hey, I'm on their preferred provider list and they're going to be with me for life. I mean, we go through these RFPs, I would say like maybe once every like three years or so, Mm -hmm. maybe, you know, earlier if you need to, but you want to make sure that they are treating you like a white glove client and you never want them to feel too comfortable because look, there's yep. a lot of firms out there, and sure. you want to make sure that you're doing the best you can. For us, we're a publicly traded company. We don't want to be hiring the most expensive counsel if you know that you can get just as much effective advice, and you want to be able to show your not only your boss that, but your your shareholders that. So I I think well. it's really important, you know, that everything has a process and nothing is a given.
2: I'm always curious. Can I ask? I'm yeah, always yeah, curious. Jump in. Uh, In terms of your relationships with outside counsel, what is sort of the number one pet peeve? When outside counsel
1: says they will have something to me by Thursday and now it's Friday and I'm following up with them. Mm. If they are setting deadlines, my job is not to follow up with them. I hate following up. Mm -hmm. If I give you a task, I expect you to complete it
2: that's great advice for associates too sometimes because that's not what they're necessarily focusing on that's going to resonate but so true and and look if you can't
1: get to it because you need some extra time or if you if something came up right, right
0: yeah you had an emergency you had you an somebody. emergency
1: right that's fine you know it's not like Thursday is like a magical d-day right? right but yes communication is extremely important be proactive you know
0: yep. No, I think that's good. No, and jump in whenever you want, Kristen. I just was going to say I
2: had a story from when I was, uh, I think I was an associate, and I had tried a few cases for this client and had good results. And the client came and was sharing sort of war stories of all the different people around the table, some partners and associates. And I was waiting for him to say when he got to me, oh, and Kristen's our big trial lawyer. And he said, we really love Kristen. And I was waiting for the moment. And he said, because she always gets back to me. And Uh I'm like. Like, ta-dun-dun. That's, like that, right, really? that's it. Right, that's it. But... As I sort of got mm-hmm. further along in my career, you realize how important that is. You, you kind of have to know that the person's there to catch you, and, and you don't know that if there's no communication. So, huge yeah. point. No, that is important. Uh, ab- absolutely. That is important. Especially,
0: Although you are our big trial lawyer <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, thanks, right. you needed it somewhere. Right. No, <laughs> I mean, in this day and age, when we don't try a lot of cases, Kristen's really taken a lot to trial. Which no, me it. I mean, look, it, it,
1: especially at firms, right? They have hundreds of clients, no doubt, right? you always want to make sure that the client feels and your in-house attorney feels like there's nobody out there other than you and I can tell you that some of the you know corporate securities counsel that we use I mean we give them so much work just given the litigation that I always kind of joke around and say you know you're committing malpractice when it comes to all your other clients (laughs) Uh because of how much time it is you devote to me Um, and he laughs and he's like you're the most important thing and that's what I want to hear you know sure
0: No, that's true. Um, You mentioned something I know a lot of firms use, which is some kind of preferred provider list or an approved counsel list. How does it work at Bank of California and does it? how do you add people? Do you take people off? Do you have a limit on how many you'll use? What's the dynamic there? And and what do you think works well about it? Because I know some people are big fans, others feel like it's an added hoop that doesn't really help much.
1: No, so I I will tell you that uh, what we've done is, you know, so as I mentioned earlier, right, we've kind of gone through this RFP process, right? We literally sent out this two, three-page cheat sheet to various different firms. And there was no method to the madness. It was either people I knew, people that others in our department knew, people that, you know, you run into at a conference. Mm -hmm. And it was surprising because not everybody actually got back to us. I'm like, wow, I (laughs) guess there's no lack of wanting to do work. (laughs) But... um, So we kind of started gathering all of the information. And then the first thing that we did, right, was just kind of understand pricing, right? If you have, I mean, depending upon what area of expertise it is, right, I might be able to justify spending a few hundred dollars more an hour if it's some sort of a complex securities matter. But if it's just a plain vanilla general advice employment matter, I'm not sure I could justify those rates. So I think the first off the bat, right, is just doing a pure price comparison. Then it's like, okay, this firm again, going back to the cooking analogy, yeah. they're known for and let's just use employment, right? They're known right. for employment. But just because they're known for employment doesn't mean that they don't do other things. So I want to understand, what are your other things, right? So if you couldn't make that pineapple upside down cake because you <laughs> didn't have pineapples. I want to go right. to dinner in Venetian house.
0: I know, yeah, we're going to eat after this, aren't
1: we? <laughs> what, what, what other... What other, um, yeah, what
0: other recipe, what can you do with pasta? Right, exactly.
1: <laughs> because again, you know, it could be that I need the premier employment firm, but it could be that I don't necessarily need the premier BK firm, mm-hmm. right? So even if that might be your second chance, you know and if I use somebody that you know right are you honoring this pricing across the board for whatever matters we happen to open up at the firm and then again you know you want to make it a win-win I'm not saying that there's any kind of a requirement here but where do you bank you know would you be open to yeah. moving some of your relationships here? Or, by the way, you know, is the firm planning on expanding? Do they need a credit line? Do they need a loan? I mean, there's nothing wrong asking the question. Sure. Yeah. Again, right. what you do with that answer and that information is up to you, yep. but it's just good information to have, right? So we kind of put together uh, an Excel spreadsheet and it basically lists out all the various different firms, the practice areas they have, But again, the practice areas they have may not necessarily be the information or what I would consider, you know, where it is your company needs legal advice. So if someone told me that we do a lot of things with respect to entertainment, I'd be like, (laughs) "Okay,
0: I'm a bank. That's not a big, big bank role. Right, Right.
1: exactly. So I think it's, you know, matching up where your needs are, where their expertise is, and then... um, making selections based on that information and uh, going back to the firm and saying okay tell us a little bit more about you know this practice area or tell us a little bit more about you know the experiences that these you know what's this attorney's background and experience right. and I think that's how you just start creating relationships and for me I think that I've kind of used three as my magic number again there's no rhyme or reason but I just said you know you never want again have just one provider with respect to an area you always want to have a couple and and whenever you have new matters that exist one of the things that I have the team do is you know bid it out to those three firms right so Mm. even though they're on the preferred provider list ask you know firm a how much are they gonna charge if you had a a single uh, plaintiff mediation um, ask firm B, ask firm C. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, sometimes they've given you their pricing sheet up front, but sometimes, you know, depending upon how complex the matter is, you're right. also not going to be holding the firm to that price because there are going to be complications um, that you know of, right? And so you're just kind of getting an idea. And if firm A is like $10,000 and the other one's fifteen, and the other one's twenty i like, right. I don't know. Maybe yeah. maybe that $20,000, even though you're on my provider list, right, mm-hmm. I, I'd rather go with Firm A. Right. But now if this is like a senior high-level executive and we want to be sure, maybe I'm willing to spend an extra few Pay thousand more. dollars. But I think it's just, again, making sure that they know that they're on your mind, meaning outside counsel and the firms, right, and that you're giving them an opportunity, but then still doing your own diligence, right, because... Service is important. And mm-hmm. you had asked earlier, you know, when do they go off the list? Well, look, right. if they did a terrible job for me, if they're not communicating with me, mm-hmm. if they told me that they were going to do a cap, but all of a sudden when I get the bill, <laughs> they said, "Yeah." well, when we looked all, really out of our hours. Cap. Right, exactly. So I, I think, you know, having that relationship and that rapport, right, is very important. You know, um, if I happen to know Kristen and I was... You know, looking at who my providers were i will tell you that i could say hey if i was using law firm a and they're on my provider list but the person that attorney let's just say joe joe wasn't the person that's going to be handling the case he says he's gonna you know have his partner mary work on it and i look at law firm b and law firm b is when i know kristen and kristen's going to be my point sometimes i'm like well i think i'm going to go with law firm b only because I know Kristen and I know she's going to do a good job for me. Right. So a lot of it yeah, goes no, back Yeah, that
0: person the relationship matters. Yeah. The I relationship
1: mean, matters. It goes back to networking and getting to know your outside counsel. And again, you know, before I started at the bank, I never needed an employment counsel. Mm-hmm. But if there's somebody that I've known for years, then yep. I I want to give them the opportunity.
3: It's really interesting as we've done the podcast over the years, we've talked so much about like the technology and Different uh, the way that the business practice has changed, and the business models have changed, but the one thing that always comes back up, always, when we talk about in-house out um, and outside counsel, is relationship. That it really is so so critical, which it shouldn't be a surprise, right? Like there's a lot that's riding on the work that's being done, and you feel you know, if you genuinely, everybody doesn't have to be a friend, but if you have taken enough time to build up a mutual respect for each other, a basic mutual respect, you are going to go, you know what, I do need to do whatever. Or I need to email Manisha because I'm not going to be able to get this done and I don't want her to be upset with me. Not, Not even because of a business standpoint, of a a relationship. Manisha is an acquaintance, somebody that I do have a respect for. It's I don't want her to be disappointed. Too, at Absolutely. Some point.
1: And, 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 you know, it works with outside counsel just as it works with your internal stakeholders and your internal clients, right? If I have a business leader or my CEO who is going through an issue, right? If they're thinking, oh, who do I call, right? You want them to call you. You want them to call you as your trusted advisor, right? You, you want them to come to you and say, hey, I have a question. And they only do that if they trust in the advice that you're going to provide. So I absolutely agree with you, Brian, that it's about relationships. And look, they make you look good in front of your business partners and your clients and your CEO or your general counsel. So you want to hire someone that you know is gonna make you look good. Yeah. And they know that if they don't make you look good, You're done. Right? Right, Um, right. um, and, And look, you know, sometimes, you know, outcomes aren't as favorable as you would hope them to be, but that's not to say that it was necessarily outside counsel's fault or your fault, right? I mean, life happens, but I think it's knowing the fact that they were there, they rolled up their sleeves, they were in through the trenches and the facts just weren't on your side and that happens but knowing the fact that they were there they're not throwing you under the bus saying hey you didn't tell us this before we started the case right. and you know had i known that you know i mean you, you have to have that relationship and i think that you know that carries right i mean you'd mentioned earlier i've worked at <laughs> Multiple different institutions, right? And even if you know I might not have an opportunity to hire you where I am today at Bank of California, because say my general counsel happens to have relationships, or my CEO who happens to be an attorney also has relationships, that doesn't mean that in the future um, there's no opportunities. I mean, good or bad, I have many, many, many more years of work. <laughs> still. Depends on the day how you more look at do. that, right? Yeah, yeah. more to do. <laughs> keep thinking I'm going to buy that lotto ticket. I just <laughs> haven't gotten
0: around to it yet, so. No, I think that's I, I think that's interesting. Um, it brings up a point, too. You mentioned the in-house relationships. I know there's also this tension between what do you do in-house and what do you send to outside counsel. I know you wrote a, a article for Profile magazine that I looked at a while ago, and, and you said something that made a lot of sense to me. It says, the process builds upon itself internally. Business lines learn that we have attorneys in-house that they can rely on for a range of issues, and that helps understand what we're spending on outside counsel. So you kind of you gain that internal expertise. People stop just sending everything out. Um, how, how do you manage that transition? And I guess how do you decide, particularly in growth areas, whether you're going to hire, you know, a six-person for? your legal team versus using outside counsel.
1: So I think um, the first rule that we have um, is no matter who it is we use for outside counsel, I need to have one member of the legal team assigned to that outside counsel for whatever matter it is that's being outsourced. So again, at Bank of California, I never knew anything about HR. Um, I'd asked my GC at the time. There was a matter, I said, hey, can I help? He said, sure, threw me into a room (laughs) Didn't even have a chance to read the case, and I met outside counsel, and I started understanding the world of HR. And so, as you kind of get to know the business, right, the business line, so in this case, it had to be the HR department. I understood, you know, I went to some seminars, and I'm like, okay, again, issue spot, right? So, the first two or three or four times, right, when HR comes to you and they ask you a question, you're thinking I don't know let me go on <laughs> Google and see what I can find right. But you know you want to go to outside counsel to make sure that you're seeing it correctly but every time they have an issue well guess what at one point in time your issues are going to be repeating and recurring yeah. and so you can kind of start bringing some of that work in-house right um, it's also a matter of risk right um, what what's the issue you know how meaningful is it is it something that you could either afford to get wrong or can I say like, you know, it's like 70, 30, I'm fairly confident (laughs) this is my answer, right? right? And you take a business mitigated approach to it, but you learn through that process. and, And that's, you know, the way that I learned a lot of things at Bank of California is I use outside counsel as my experts. If there's things that I end up learning just through pure osmosis, right? If you have a zero bar to start with, you're bound to learn something. If you don't, you're <laughs> right. in the wrong profession. Yeah, but, that's true. Um, but issues, issue spotting. You know, going through an M and A transaction, same thing, right? If you didn't do anything to begin with, you're going to learn letters of intent and you know what's binding and if it's not binding. And you also get to know your clients, right? What do they want in those NDAs, for example? What are their big pet peeves? So yes, you go to outside counsel, but you learn and you absorb, you become the in-house expert, then your clients will come to you. And, you know, just uh, there's turnover in every institution, no matter what. But the next person who comes in, they're going to ask you a question. Guess what? You've already answered it. Right. You already know. And it, it's, it's just building that expertise in-house. And I think then, you know, going back to your question about, Um, Do you hire someone else or do you go to outside counsel? I think that's when you kind of look at your invoices at the end of the year. Uh How much are you spending on commercial litigation? How much are you spending on, you know, securities work or general advice? Um, I will tell you that at one point in time, we actually had so much HR work going on and we kind of knew some of the things that were coming up at the bank. I actually hired an employment attorney in house um, because It didn't make sense for me to continue to use outside counsel Mm -hmm. and it was very very cost-effective for us to do so so it really is just dependent upon what you know is going on at your bank and then again looking at those fees and saying does it make sense if I'm spending X dollars on outside counsel I can hire an internal expert to do the same job
0: That makes sense. I think that's very helpful. I think people, you know, that's doing that simple, you know, how much are we spending and measuring it against compensation for a person is logical, but I'm not sure everyone focuses on that, you know, on that decision tree you said something else that caught my ear as a litigator and a Christian too I'm always interested in ways to do alternative pricing around litigation I think we're seeing it some more but it's often hard to do. I'm curious are you seeing alternative pricing you know for litigation and what kind of models have worked you know for for you in terms of either categories of cases or or caps, discounts, what, what kind of approaches you use?
1: Sure. So, I mean, to answer your question, all of the above, right? Okay. So, uh, for some of the litigation matters that we're working on right now, we've had outside counsel kind of tell us, hey, if this goes through uh, summary judgment, right, we'll charge you X. But if it doesn't survive summary judgment or, or I guess yeah, this, or this, I'm not the litigator, yeah, right? Yeah, no, no, I mean, that's if, right. But it goes if, past. If it, if it goes yeah. past, thank you, summary judgment, we'll charge you Y, right? Um Sometimes if you kind of have an idea as to, again, how complex the case is or not, you know, you might do like a blended rate approach, right? Okay, does this really require a full-time partner? What if we bring in a lower level associate? You know, can you give us a blended rate? And it could be sometimes, you know, if you're a new client to the firm, the firm might be like, you know, we are not in a position to give you these AFAs because you're not a, quote, big client of ours. And maybe they'll just do like a 10% discount. Right. That's fine, right? I mean, they need to build that relationship with you before they go out. And you need to appreciate and understand that, right? Just as much as you want outside counsel to give you their best pitch you also need to appreciate the fact that you know you have a partner at an outside counsel who before they go back to their management committee and ask for that extra 5 or 10% discount or try to push through a very you know lucrative AFA for a client right they need to have that trust in you if they are doing it for some say flat fee that when the next case comes around and the next case comes around, that you're thinking about them, too. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it it still, I think, comes down to building that trust, building those relationships in order for you to have a win-win relationship.
2: When you, I'm curious, when you have sort of these stepped flat fee cases, like the summary judgment, or I do it a lot for trial, do you like to see what I call a shadow bill? Do you like to see what the actual hourly, or is that helpful in some way or not helpful? So I have had attorneys uh, do shadow
1: billing, and I think it's good to know because, again, you can understand you know, what you really have to do and what a lot of attorneys don't do, right, is look at those invoices when the case is over, right? Because when the case is over and you're stopping, you're not approving those bills anymore, that case is out of mind, out of sight. Right. But that's where I think that you know when you're going through your budgets right you can go back to your you know general counsel your CEO your CFO and say look this is how much we as a legal department were able to save you as a company right so you know look we're not a profit center but at the end of the day we are conscious of the fact that our costs impact your bottom line and um, going through that analysis I think helps in-house attorneys for when it is they're looking at budgets and making pitches as to why the legal department may need to add another counsel or why it makes sense for us to continue to use employment counsel or outside counsel, I'm sorry, um, because it's more cost effective for us to do that, right? I mean, if I have a salary, that's a sunk cost, but if I can use outside counsel effectively, I can have an idea as to how much money it is I'm actually saving. Mm-hmm. So I do think it's important, very important.
2: That's helpful. That makes sense, too.
0: Yeah, that does. What about, do you do you use any alternative legal service providers? I know that's a hot area now. Our own firm has something called GC Solutions, which are kind of alternative providers for, you know, secundment purposes, temporary lawyers, specific project-based <laughs> engagements. I don't know if that's something... Bank of California has experimented with. I know it's gaining more traction as people try to squeeze more and more out of the limited spend that they have.
1: So um, so I will tell you in the you know almost six years I've now been at bank, um, we've actually seconded two attorneys. Mm-hmm. One was actually an attorney that started there before I got there. So they were doing succumbent work, but they were essentially doing the work that I kind of came in and replaced, so to speak. And again, it's just, if there's a need, right, does it make sense to succumb someone because it's a long-term, you need to have an operations attorney at a bank. There's no, you can't outsource that work indefinitely. Um, So I wasn't at bank when that attorney was was there, but I, my understanding is that it was very effective. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you that when we have proxy season, which is... You know, going to be right around the corner. Right. We have seconded an attorney from an outside firm to come help, literally come sit in our physical spaces to work on it with us. Um, gotcha. So we've we've definitely done that. Um, we're open to it, even with just you know things going back to like litigation. We've talked about you know, does it always make sense for us to do all of our discovery internally? Um, right. Maybe you know, how can we effectively use some of these other vendors out there where they can charge you like maybe a hundred bucks an hour to review, you know, a thousand emails. I mean, it's not always the best use of your resources. So, you know, it's always good to kind of know what's out there because it's ever changing, especially in this day and age.
0: Yeah. No, I do think there are more and more opportunities and new offerings out there. So that's good.
3: This would be a good time for me to plug a yeah. mobile bond Dickinson's <laughs> GC Solutions. Yeah.
0: No. That, and, yeah, you can go to our website, or you can go to uh, the GC Solutions has their own website, too. I think it's uh, mygcsolutions.com. You can, learn, you can learn more. So thank you, Brian, for reminding me. I think we have time for maybe one more question. I know it's flown by. So, <laughs> no, I appreciate it. You know, and, and I'm always interested in... Uh, practical tips for newer GCs. So in terms of kind of the flow with outside counsel and that work relationship, you know, can you describe for us either some of the hurdles or impediments or give some tips for trying to make that smoother? We've talked about the communication responsiveness. What kind of things? Are there any either processes in place or tips beyond some of the relationship stuff we've talked about that might be helpful for someone that just feels like we've got outside counsel, but we're just not, we're not on the same page. We're not, we're not in sync.
1: Um, Well, this is more, I guess, from an operations perspective, right? But I will tell you that again, when I first joined bank, um, everybody knows an attorney and there's enough attorneys out there that they will come find you if you don't know one. Uh, we had the challenge of our business units and our business unit leaders hiring the attorneys that they knew, or the ah. attorneys that they went out to dinner with, and said, "Hey, I'll give you a case." And right. so we would end up getting um, invoices from firms that we didn't even know were representing the <laughs> bank. Ah. So that a was a pro- uh, little problematic. A little problematic there. So we actually instituted Serengeti. And we basically said that, you know, through our AVID, which was our straight uh, expense billing, uh, expense reimbursement platform, no legal bills and no outside law firms will be paid through that process, period. Gotcha. All outside bills and engagements had to be done through the legal department. And especially if you're, you know, either in a, a company where you're, like say their first general counsel, or if you're new to the general counsel role, you you need to understand the scope of the services that your institution needs, and the scope of the services where your business unit leaders are engaging outside counsel. You should never have counsel work for an institution without the legal department knowing about it. The way that I see it is they are an extension of you, (laughs) right? Right,
0: absolutely. Um,
1: So by doing that, right, we were able to literally go from like probably a hundred some odd providers that we had to maybe somewhere around 20 and 30 is what we have Mm -hmm. today. Um, But I would think that, you know, just understanding your scope. And then the other thing, too, I would say is, again, if you're new to in-house or new to a practice area, you know, work with whether it's your general counsel or your CEO and um, understand from them what they think a reasonable budget would be and, um, you know, get as much money as you can that first year because you want to become that expert, right? Right. And then over the years, you can kind of say, you know what, we went from a $1 million spend to $800,000 spend because those analytics are important. You know, when you work in-house, you have to get outside of the comfort zone of just knowing the law. That's not going to cut it for you. Issue, spot, outsource. But you really need to understand the business of the business. And, uh, you know, outside counsel, management and spend is uh, a big part of that.
0: It's being tracked. That's great. Those are two very, I like those very practical points that I think are worth adding.
3: I'm also very excited. Manisha gave us our new slogan. We're going to be Wommelbon Dickinson. We will find you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's right. That's good. Um, Any final comments? Christian, anything you want to add? She knocked it out up? of the park for her yeah. first podcast. I know, no kidding. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank no, you. This I, was I a lot of fun. It, I thought it was great. I really appreciate you joining us. I think we've uh, shared a lot of good practical tips for everybody. Well,
1: now I guess, you know, the sequel is going to be when Kristen and I talk about the powers of networking. Yes.
0: Yep. That's, yes. that's we'll, a we'll sequel. We'll schedule that. Yeah, <laughs> we'll schedule that. We've been wanting to come out to California to actually, now go. that we have offices out there, record some podcasts. So we'd love to have you back. We've had some other repeat guests. It's a select group. You know, you get into that <laughs> little cadre of, of repeaters. But we have not done one on networking, so I like that, I like that idea. It could be a lot of fun. Well, Well, thank you. Thank
1: thank you guys very much. I, I very much appreciated this opportunity. It was a lot of fun. Thank you.
0: Great. Well, I enjoyed it. Thank you, Manisha. Thank you. Christian and uh, that concludes this episode of the In-House Roundhouse Um, I do want to remind our listeners you can find previous episodes and subscribe to the podcast so you automatically get every new episode in your feed by going to either womblebonddickinson.com or iTunes, the Google Play Store SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have questions or comments about this episode please share them on LinkedIn or Twitter Uh, you can also email me, I'm always looking for suggestions on new topics like networking networking uh, that we can use on our podcast. So thanks everyone for listening. This has been the In-House Roundhouse. We'll see you at the next station. In-House Roundhouse is a production of Womble Bond Dickinson. Brian Ewing is our producer and Robert Daughtry is our audio engineer.